Hi, you're listening to Taming the Terminal, Part 6 of N, More File Permissions. This series of discussions is based on a collection of tutorials written by Bart Bouchatz over at bartb.ie slash ttt. This originally aired as part of NoSilicast episode 427, hosted at podfeet.com. I'm Allison Sheridan, host of the NoSilicast podcast, and the other voice you're about to hear is Bart Bouchatz of bartb.ie. Terminally stuff. We, we left off, we sort of left on a cliffhanger last time, really, didn't we? Yes. <laughs> so we're and this is how Unix file permissions work. And this is how you read them. And next week, we'll tell you how you can change them. Yeah, so yeah, let's yeah. Do that. Everybody open your terminal now. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yes, do. Yes, class. Although this is not one where you can really just type away with gay abandon because we are changing things with these commands. So oh, uh, right. probably best not to do too much typing. Okay. Until we get to the second half where we just talk about some stuff where you can type away. Oh, okay. I'll try to be so, good. I don't promise, though. <laughs> As a very quick reminder, last time we said that every file in a Unix or Linux-based file system has a bunch of metadata associated with stuff like when it was created, when it was last modified, and also information that pertains to how Unix security should apply to that file. So who owns the file, what group owns the file, and the Unix file permission mask, which is this big blob of letters that we talked about last week. So now we want to talk about how we change those three things. How we change who owns it, how we change the group that owns it, and how we change that big blob o permissiony stuff. Uh, the first two are easy. So to change the ownership, the first command is chown for change owner. And you just basically say chown space the username space the file name you want to change the ownership of. Hit enter, you're done. If you want to do a whole bunch at once, you can put as many file names as you like after the first argument. So that's easy. And if you want to recursively change a folder, the flag minus capital OR will put the command into recursive mode and it will go into a folder and change the permissions on all the files in there and all the folders and it will go into those folders and into those folders and so on until it runs out of folders. So it just basically... Wouldn't I need like a sudo before all this stuff? Not if they're your own files. Well, if they're your own files, then... You might be giving them away. Oh, so in your example, you had chown bart space myfile.txt, but if yeah, you're, if you're already bart, it wouldn't, you yeah, wouldn't, no. if, if you couldn't do that, you wouldn't be bart, so. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, actually, that's a good point. I should have made it up with the username. Made it mine? Yeah. Give it to me. Could have given it to you, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, but if I, if I want to change it and it's not mine, I would need to do sudo, uh, we have, have we talked about we haven't sudo? Talk, no, the reason I haven't put sudo in is because we haven't talked about gaining superpowers. Okay. Which we will be talking about. It'll be an entire entire part dedicated to... First, we have to talk about what permissions are before we talk about how we change them. Okay. Which is why we haven't mentioned it yet. But you're right. The, the chown command would usually be used as the root user because you're going to then give it to a regular pleb user. Okay. Uh, the chgroup command, though, you, you, you would use on files of your own. So let's say that you were creating a little project and you wanted the two of us shared a Mac and I wanted to let you edit a file. I'd create a group with the two of us in it and then change the group of the relevant files. So the change group command works exactly the same way as the change own command, but you specify the group instead of the user. So it's chgrp for change group. Okay. I don't oh. picture a regular individual user needing to do this. Not often, but as soon as you start getting into the idea of playing around with web servers, this kind of stuff becomes important because the web server needs to have access to read files or it can't be a web server. And if you have some sort of script that uploads a file, then it needs to have access to write because where else is it going to upload the file to? Right, right. Now, I I do know that, uh, let's see, if I get my time travel exactly correct, uh, (laughs) is it Jim Sewell who gave us the, the idea of using text expander to... No, it wasn't Jim. 
you know, Jim has been Jim has been sending me a lot of nice nerdy emails, but I yeah, can't I, believe. Oh shoot! Okay, apologies to whoever it is you just heard explaining that uh, an idea was to maybe I can pull it up while we're talking. It was in last week's show, wasn't it? Or maybe it's this week's show. Well, it no, 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 no I listened to it already though. So it, okay, good. Well, I can go look that up. But anyway, sorry, I'm, time travels hard. Um, Anyway, he suggested doing uh, using Text Expander for some of the trickier commands you don't want to type or whatever. And uh, so I actually have one that you gave me that allows me to recursively tell my own system to give myself permissions to everything I am. Because of the weird way my, my Mac is set up with the two drives and stuff, every once in a while it gets boogered and you told me to remember that command. Yeah, it, it wasn't just because you had two drives, it was because you had two versions of OS ten, And if you booted into one, you had a different UID than if you booted oh. into the other. And that's why we got rid of that. That's why, yeah, that's why we got rid of the second copy of OS X. Because but that's, it was why really I knew, just, that's why I knew CHON from... Yes, because you had to... Because the two Allisons were different. <laughs> and you had, to, you had to retell the computer that, no, no, it's this Allison that owns this stuff, not that Allison. It's all, <laughs> that really, really is confusing to people. Um, so I probably should not have brought any of this up. And I can't Most remember. of us have one OS on our computers. Okay. So but I was all OS excited that I, I had used it, yeah. you know. Yeah. It and was Jim Sewell. It was Jim Sewell. It was. Okay. Good. Okay. Good. Okay. Um, Sorry. I'll be quiet for a while. <laughs> the other thing I meant to say, right, generally speaking, in all the commands we've come, we've come across so far, where you put the flags doesn't matter. The command is smart enough to figure out that it should just treat it as a flag. Hmm. These ch commands are very, very, very old. They're, they back like to the very, very early days of Unix, and they're dumb. You have to put the flags first. So you can't say ch own Bart, my folder, minus or. It has to be chown minus or, username, folder, 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 whatever. So do you make a habit of always putting the flags right up front just so that you don't have to remember which ones you do? I do, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I do that in all commands, but you don't have to. It's like saying, okay, sometimes the verb can go at the end if you want. Well, when? Well, then you get Yoda <laughs> speak, isn't it? <laughs> and you don't yeah, want so to do that put, all the time. Yeah, I always put them at the front just to make it easier. Uh, but just to say, it's really important here that you do put them first. Okay. So that's chown and ch group, or grp, well, which you pronounce ch group. Uh, or some people pronounce it chown instead of chown. That's yeah, the way I'd always said it, just looking at it. Yeah, I don't know. I, like I always pronounce it better. chown because at least the own bit is preserved. Yeah. And then you have ch group, and we'll talk about another one, ch mod, in a minute. Just to say that chown and ch group are almost always you want to do both things. And instead of typing two commands, chown allows you to do both. So if you type chown, and then instead of giving it a username, you give it username colon group, it'll do the two at once. So chown minus or Bart colon staff would change the stuff to me and staff as the user. So the colon, it knows user, because it knows them in yeah. order, like we talked about last week. Exactly. So if it okay. sees a colon, it knows you're giving it a user group combo. And if it doesn't see a colon, it thinks you're giving it a username. Okay. Really is that straightforward. So the most common thing you'll see is chown with user colon group, because very often you just want to do both. You want to just be sure that everything is exactly the way you want. So, so far, so easy. Now we get to what is probably the hardest thing in the entire series, even if we go into 100 episodes. Okay. Which is changing that bloody Unix file permission mask. Right? Okay. Now, the thing to say is that we've been calling it a file permission mask because that's one of the things it's often called. It's also called the, fi- called the file mode by some people, which is why the command is chmod, which is short for change mode. Okay. So it's not entirely as senseless a command as it sounds, chmod. Uh, again, it takes the same basic form as chown and chgroup uh, in that it's 
the command, followed by the permission, followed by a list of files to apply that permission to, and it also supports the minus capital or flag for recursive. The problem is specifying the permission is messy at best. The command actually supports two entirely different syntaxes for doing it. So it has two completely unrelated modes for messing with permissions. And most people only ever learn one, and I think that's a really bloody good idea. So there are two. I only know one, and I know it well enough that that's all I have to know. And that's all I'm going to mention. There is an entirely different way of doing it than to what we're going to talk about. So I'm only mentioning it from the point of view of you may see other people with minus capital X and all these kind of weird arguments, right? We're not doing that. We're doing it it the most descriptive way. So instead of specifying changes to the current permissions, we're going to just specify the permission we want. And so the way we do it is the numeric approach. So we're going to say ch mod space a number space the files we want to affect. And calculating that number is the hard part. Oh, my head hurts already, Bart. <laughs> I'm a, yeah, okay. although the side effect is we get to learn an extra skill today, which is just kind of cool to know as a nerd. We get to learn how to convert from binary to decimal <laughs> for free. It's a little free bonus today. Oh, good. So the way the idea is that you represent RWX as a three-digit binary number. So, so read, zero, zero is yeah. three binary. Okay. In that order. So... If you want to specify or WX full permissions, it's 111. If you want to specify no permissions at all, it's 000. If you want read and execute, it'll be 101. Or just read, it'll be 100. Does that make sense? Okay, yep. So if you have the permission, you. it's a 1. If you don't have the permission, it's a 0. So then, basically, the permission you want to specify just becomes three, three binary digit numbers. Problem is, it doesn't want them in binary. It wants them in decimal. <laughs> which is why we have to do the conversion. Hmm. Now, all of this is based around the table that's in the show notes, and you can just simply copy this table into Evernote, never learn it off, and just look at it whenever you need to change files. Oh, I'm so doing that right now. <laughs> or you can learn it off, which I wouldn't recommend. Just learn it by rote. That's not a good idea. What I would recommend is learning how to create it from scratch, because it's actually full of patterns. Oh. So you don't actually have to remember and this goes for any convert. You can create an arbitrary size binary to decimal conversion table using the very simple algorithm I'm going to tell you here. In the most far right column, it's 01010101 the whole way down to infinity. What's the far then, right column? Describe that to people. That's so the, the, the most column? least significant digit of your binary number. Okay. So in the number 10, the least significant digit is zero. Right? So the far right is the least significant digit. And then we build up. So the binary digit one is just one. Um, the next column is the second least significant digit is zero zero one one zero zero one one all the way to infinity. The next column over it's four zeros four ones four zeros four ones. If the, if we were to need another column, which we don't today, it would be eight zeros eight ones eight zeros eight ones. If we wanted a fifth column, it would be sixteen zeros sixteen ones. Have you seen what's happening? I think so. So the number of zeros. Are you still talking about the center column, or did you move to the left column? We're talking about the three brightly colored columns of the three columns of conversion. So the first one is zero one zero one zero one. The second one is zero zero one one zero zero one one. The third one is four zeros four ones. And if we want, then it would be eight, and then it would be sixteen. Then it would be eight. Then it would be sixteen. Then it would be thirty-two. Okay. So by the way, when you say first, second, third, you're going right to left. Yes. So least significant to most significant. Okay. 
And that pattern continues ad infinitum. So if you wanted to convert a five-digit number, you just make five columns and keep going with that pattern. If you wanted to convert a six-digit number, six columns, keep going with that pattern. So that pattern just works for any amount. In this case, we only need to do three columns. So it's actually very straightforward. Zero, 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 one, zero, one, zero, one, zero, zero, one, one, four zeros, four ones. Okay. And then you can just read them off. Okay. Because the first, the first column is the decimal number zero. The second column is the decimal number one, and it just goes down. So you second, just read them off. First and second rows, you mean? Yeah. So the, yeah. So yeah. So the final. So finally, they're just in order now. So zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine, ten, up to infinity. And that's what that table is. And you can make the table as big or as small as you want. Okay. I think I have a significant advantage getting to look at the table while you describe that versus the people who are maybe in the car. But it does make I sense when you look at it. I promise. This is one. Yeah. This is one to look at. Right. And as I said, this is probably the most difficult thing we're going to do in the entire si- series. The chances of you just getting it first time are small because everyone has to look at this a few times and go, yeah, what? So don't feel bad if you're going, what? Right, just promise. The penny will drop and you'll be grand. It'll happen. So that's how you recreate the table or you can just save the table. Or realistically, there's actually only four permissions that are used regularly. So actually, you can just read off that four means read only. Five means read and execute. Six means read and write. And seven means everything. That's your other option. Say that one more time. So four is read only. Five is read and execute. Six is read and write. And seven is full access. Why do you only care about those? Because you very rarely give nobody permission. Because generally speaking, those are the most important ones. I guess you should also know that zero means nothing. But that, I sort of didn't even put that in because that's how, that goes without saying. That was an easy one. So if you ever buy web hosting from someone, the chances are that you're only going to see two permissions, 644 and 755. 644 is what you'd use on HTML files and images because they're not executable things. Oh, so hang on, six, hang on, hang on. I is just there a penny a, floating in the air here? Yeah, there's a, a penny wiggling. It's, it's thinking about dropping here. So I just realized what you're talking about is now you're taking, we had three numbers. Mm-hmm. That was read, write, and execute. We've converted those into a single digit, zero through mm-hmm. seven. Yes. Now you're going to do those three times, once for for uh, user. for user, once for group, and once for everyone. Exactly. So, so, so those three... single digits will become three digits again. Exactly. So at the end result will be three number, three decimal numbers, which represent the, the user, group, and everyone permissions. Hence, 644 means that the user gets permission six, which if you look at our table is... Read, write, but not execute. And everyone else, so be they in the group or be they just anyone, will get permission four, which if you look at our table, it means read, nothing, nothing. So just read. And for a HTML file, a JPEG file, that's exactly the permission that you should have on a web page. Anyone on the planet can see your web page. In other words, the web server process can see your web page and therefore serve it out to the world. But you are the only person who can edit your web page, which is kind of how you'd like it. If the file on your web page is a folder, rather than being a file, the web server has to be able to look inside it and see the content. So you actually need to give it seven. So you need to give yourself seven and eight five. So seven five five. And really, that's that's it. That's so six four four and seven five five are the two permissions you're going to see time. in a web. Okay. So six is read and write, mm-hmm. which is for you. Six first, and then, and then four means everybody else needs to be able to write, to read. Yeah, and it's read only for for is read only. But a website needs to be able to execute, so that's why it's uh, seven five five. So five is yeah. uh, read and execute. Okay. Yeah. 
And so if you log in with your favorite FTP client into your web hosting, right click on a file, view properties, you're going to see that there's 644 or 755. Hmm. And that's the most likely thing you're going to want to do. And so really, if you just remember the most likely things, you're probably fine. And of course, if you're not quite sure what you're at, change them, do an LS minus L and see if they've actually come out with, as you meant them. Because they're easy to read, RWX or WX. So you just need to, un- until you're comfortable just doing it, you should probably be checking. And if you're doing something on your own Mac and you want to make sure that, let's say it's a shared family Mac between a bunch of people and you want something to be not visible to anyone else, you put the two other permissions to zero. So you might say 700 my file to give you an executable file of your own or 600 my file to give you just a read-writable file of your own. I wish I were more clear on exactly what execute means in this context. So if it's a mm-hmm. word file or text execute file, is meaningless. Okay. Okay. Because good. the OS will try to execute and then go, uh, here's an executable file. So sure. You have permission to do this impossible thing. Okay. Still impossible. Okay, good. But, uh, but when you're talking about web pages, that might be calling JavaScript or something like that. Well, no, because JavaScript is client side, but right. PHP, when you see a file ending in .php on a website, that's a program that executes to create okay. HTML that gets given to the person who gets the web page. Okay. So your okay. WordPress file is a PHP script that contacts a database to suck out the posts, assemble it all into a nice bit of HTML, and then barf all that out at the client. <laughs> right. So that's an execution. Got you, so it's got to be 755. Okay. Okay. I'm with you. Okay. And really, that's it. It sounds short. doesn't take long to say, but honestly, it'll take a while to sink in. Yeah, I can see that. And if nothing else, keep the table somewhere safe. I've got it in Evernote and link over to this article. Excellent. So finish up with some easier stuff, I thought. So we mentioned last time to ignore the plus signs and the at signs on the ends of file permission masks because they just mean that there's more going on here than, than meets the eye. So now let's actually go one step further and tell you how to show them more. We're not going to tell about how to edit them more because that's something you're unlikely to need to do and it would just confuse people. Okay. If, if you need to do it, the chances are you're able to read the man pages and figure it out. And otherwise you probably shouldn't. <sighs> But it is important to be able to read it because you see that in a file, you want to know what's going on. You don't want to change what's going on, but you want to understand what's going on. So that's what we're going to look at today. So I said last time that these standard Unix file permissions are the same across Unix, Linux, OS X. They have been around for literally decades and they're the same everywhere. And they used to be it. That was all there was to file permissions. But in recent times, we've wanted more. So they've now become a common subset, and every OS is free to add its own extra permissions on top of those everyone has them common permissions. And so in the Mac world, so in OS ten, we have something called file access control lists, or file ACLs for short. If you were in the Linux world, you'd have something called Linux SE, which stands for, sorry, not Linux SE, SE Linux, which stands for Security Enhanced Linux. We're not going to talk about that today because this, we're a Mac show. Mostly biased, anyway. Uh, So first off, we noticed last time that our home directories all have this little plus at the end of them. Right. So let's use that as our example. So if we just do an ls minus l of the slash users folder, we're going to see that the folder Bart, or whatever your username is, has d or wx or x or x plus. And that plus tells us that, wait a minute, there's more going on here. 
So if you'd like to be shown what the more is, you use ls minus l e, the e for extra is how I remember it. I'm not sure if that's really what it sounds for, but I think of it as e for extra. So ls minus l e. And what happens then is that any file that has a plus on the lines below it, indented by one space so that it's clear that it belongs to that file and isn't just the next file, is going to be a numbered list of these access control lists. And they start numbering at zero because this is computery talk. And in, in the case of your home directory, it has one access control list, which says group, colon, everyone, deny, delete. And that's pretty Englishy. So straight away, what that tells you is that the group, everyone, is to be denied permission to delete this folder. What, what, do, you, what do you type again to get this? LS minus so, LE? Yeah, so you want to do an LS minus LE on the slash users folder. So LS space minus LE space forward slash users. Got it. Okay. Now, you won't see your own folder because you have it off on a different hard drive, but you will see your admin account. And it'll Actually, have no, I do. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. That's a dummy copy. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's there. Okay. So you're going to so if you do the ls minus le you'll see your folder listed with a little plus and then on the next line zero colon group colon everyone deny delete. Okay? And that means so that line the zero colon means the first acl is that everyone so the group everyone should be blocked from deleting this folder. Everyone okay. is in the group everyone. So the unix file permissions there are d or wx or x or x. So according to plain old Unix permissions, I have permission to delete my home folder. But OS X has added this extra permission on top to say, but you can't delete it. You can add files to it. You can do everything else that the RWX allows you to do, but you cannot delete it. And that's hmm. just a safety precaution because, like we talked about last week, if you could delete it, you could tie yourself into knots. Similarly, if you go into your home folder and do the same command, you're going to see that your documents folder has the same permissions, the same ACL saying, you can't delete this. The Unix file permission says you have full ownership and that you can do whatever you want, but the OS X access control lists supersede those and they say you can't. And the same is true of your music folder, your movies folder, all of these standard folders that OS X gives you all have these ACLs saying, nope, sorry, can't delete. These are undeletable folders. Okay. That makes sense? Yeah, yeah, it does, actually. So the way to think of it is it's an or statement. So if the Unix file permissions block you or the OS X ACLs block you, you're blocked. So they both have to say yes before you can do something. I know you're going to get mad at me, but if I'm super user, can I, if I have superhuman powers, can I do it? Yes, because okay. root on any Unix system is God. Okay. So no permissions apply to root. myself right in the, in the face. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> when you are root... With great power comes great responsibility, yada, yada, yada. Okay. So, yeah, it's not possible to stop Root doing stuff because that just defeats the purpose of Root. So the final thing to look at then are these extended attributes. And these don't have a security role as such. This is a way for OS X to store more information about a file than just when it was created, when it was last edited, and who owns it, and what permissions are on it. So maybe you want to save extra information. And OS X has done that in a really generic way. It's basically said... Any file can have extra key value pairs added onto it. So Wait, you tell it the What's a key value pair? A key value pair is basically a name and a value. So you basically say that this file is going to have the extra attribute called something, which is going to have the value something. So to get your attribute back, you say, Dear OS 10, please give me the value of the attribute called whatever. That so it's made basically no like sense a pigeon. At all to me. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, think of 
Think of an office post box, right? Okay. There's a whole bunch of squares on the wall, and each one has a little label on it saying mm-hmm. Allison's post goes here, Bart's post goes here. That's okay. a name-value pair. The name is the label on the box. The value is what's in the box. Okay. You can't just... If you want to get... It, if, it's if you just want to a get, little generic I, sounding still. Maybe I'll get it when you get into the real-life example. Well, it is very generic. Okay. It's, it's, it's the most basic idea possible. You have a name, and then that name has a value associated with it. So it's... It, it's okay. one of the most simplest concepts in computers, like variables. Well, then I'm an idiot because it's no, still no, no. Maybe it's, so. What's inside? How is what's inside the box of value? It's a lot of stuff inside that box. There's there's a there's some spam mail and there's some uh, a letter from your mother. That's not one value. Mm. Well, it's a, okay. I'm trying to think of another. Okay, actual pigeons. Then they have a name, <laughs> and then there's an actual pigeon in there. Okay. All right. So what what is the example? What is this example though? When you described it in computing terms, it didn't, it seemed so generic. I couldn't. Well, it it is generic. The whole point is that it's completely and utterly arbitrarily generic. And this means that it can be used by Apple for stuff. We'll get into that in a minute, but it can actually be used by anyone. So there's a, right. We know that in the next version of OS 10, Apple are introducing tags so that you can tag files. But for years now, there's been third-party apps that do that. Mm-hmm. They do that using these extended attributes. So they create an attribute called, I don't know what they call it because I don't install these kind of apps, but they create some sort of attribute called, you know, my tags, we'll say. And so they create that attribute and then they stick in the actual tags and they do that in every file that you tag. And then their app works by simply saying to OS 10, give me all of the tags attributes on all of these files so that I can read them back. So the tags... Keys or values? So the, so tags would be the key, and then the values would be the actual tags that you typed. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Right? And so the same file can have lots and lots of keys and lots and lots of values, because you may not want to store just one extra piece of information, you may want to store infinitely many pieces of extra information. Gotcha. I'm with you now. Okay, so OS X does this for lots of stuff. So if you're in OS X in the Finder, you right-click on a file and you give it a flag to make it a color. A little extra attribute gets created. Now, it has a really, it's not one that's human readable because Apple stores it in hexadecimal gloop. But it is created and it makes sense to finder.app, which is all that actually matters. Every time you add, um, you know, the way you can right click a file, get properties, and type in a comment, which is used by Spotlight. That creates another one of these key value pair things, which is then used by Spotlight when it tries to find stuff. And the other one that we are going to look at, because you, you know that on OS X, when you download something from the internet, OS X magically knows when you downloaded it, what app you downloaded it with, and what URL it came from. Right. And then it pops up a little warning if it's an executable file to say, you're about to run a program that you downloaded with Firefox on this day from this URL. Are you sure you want to do that? And you've seen that, right? Yeah, yeah. And you click OK once, and then it never happens again. How is it doing that? Okay. Right. The answer is that it's not keeping a central database somewhere of where it just remembers where every file came from. It's putting all of those pieces of information into extended attributes straight into the file. And so the file, so even if you copy that onto a thumb drive and bring it over to another computer, it'll still tell you it was downloaded on this day at this time with this browser. Are you sure? Because okay. it's actually bundled into the file. So to see if a file has the extra stuff, it'll have the at sign on the end. So if you do an ls-l 
it'll have that app sign. So the best example to use for this is the downloads folder, because we all have downloads and they all have these extended attributes. So that way we can give generic examples. So if you just go to a terminal and type ls space minus l space tilde forward slash downloads with a capital D, you'll get a list of all of your downloads and you'll see that they all have little at signs after them. Yeah, they do. Each and every single one, unless you drag and drop the file in there from somewhere else. If you now want to see the keys that each of those files have, run the same command, but instead of just using minus L, use minus L and the at sign. So the at sign is a flag that we're using. Ooh, now that's fun. I'm seeing metadata item where from. Yes. So just like with the ACLs, where we have the name of the file and then tabbed in a list of in this case, it's only listing the keys. It's not listing the values. It's just listing the keys. Okay. So we'll say com.apple.finder. If you, if you go into your downloads folder now and right-click and add a color tag to any file in there, that file will suddenly get the attribute com.apple.finderinfo. Hmm. And if any ones you've downloaded... If it didn't already. If it didn't already. And the ones you've downloaded will have three keys. com.apple.metadata colon kmdi item downloaded date com.apple.metadata.kmdi.item.where.from and com.apple.quarantine. And as long mine, as something mine has... Don't, mine aren't all saying uh, download date. They seem to have different things. Okay, it's possible that different browsers do or don't add quite all the information. Well, like, I have a video I downloaded, and uh, it's, I've got com.apple.finder.info, and mm-hmm. then com.apple.metadata, blah, 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 item where from, and then quarantine. Okay. Okay, then I don't know what browser you downloaded with. It may not have been Safari, so maybe it didn't save the date. Maybe it only saved where. Uh, yeah, it's usually Chrome on my case, so. Okay, it's possible Chrome doesn't do one of those three. You but when if I, I color find... it now. If you, you color if it now. And do... with a color. Yeah. And run that and again. And then do it again. And get an extra attribute. Yeah, come that Apple.finder info will have appeared. I do. Yeah. Okay. So, so far, we only know what attributes they have. If we want to see what's in there, we need to use a different command, which is the xatter command. Hmm. In other words, extra attributes in short. So, xattr. Now, we are only going to talk about using xatter to list the content. xatter has other options for destroying all extra attributes, for changing the content. Don't teach of us one. that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Or for changing the value of one. So we're only going to look at one option, which is x adder space minus L space, give it a file name. And if you do that, it will show you the contents of just that one file. So in the show notes, as an example, I've downloaded a zip file from my website. And then it's just source code to xkpasswd as it happens. And then you can see in there that if I do x adder space minus L space tilde downloads forward slash xkpasswd blah, 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 dot zip. It tells me that com.apple.metadata date downloaded contains a whole bunch of hexadecimal glop because Apple do everything in hex. And next to it is the ASCII representation of that hex, which in this case is useless to us. So Apple have saved that date in a format that we can't easily get out. Oh, well, not that interesting. Thankfully, though, the metadata where from, when you convert that one to ASCII, which is so between the vertical lines, it is in ASCII. You'll see that that file came from www.bartbushas.ie forward slash downloads forward slash xkpasswd. Blah, blah, blah. That's it. And next to it is the URL of the page I was on when I clicked the link to download it, which is a page of my blog. And you can just read those two out of that. Wait, wait, wait. There's two. So you oh, see, there's the page you were on and then the actual download link. Okay, I yes. got you. Yes. Huh. 
And then finally, there's the quarantine information, which is mostly GLOP. But sitting in between the GLOP, you'll find, in my case, it says Safari. Which means that all I can read without knowing exactly the formatting is that it was Safari that downloaded it, which Mm. is still useful information. So although we'd need to be even nerdier to get all the information out, even mere humans can get three useful pieces of information. Interesting. Now, you can't copy that and do anything with it because of the way they formatted the URL. You'd have to just sort of like copy and paste pieces of it, I guess. Like if you wanted to go back to that same page and see if it was still there. It, it's a bit awkward. Now, there are there are apps you can buy that when you're... Uh, I can't remember, but there are apps that will actually just print the stuff in a nicer format for you. It's in there. It's just a matter yeah. of getting it out. Right, right, right. Um, the other thing to say that you may have noticed is the names all have an odd format. Com.apple. and stuff like that, Right. And this is a really common technique that's used in a lot of computer programming and stuff. If you want to have it in such a way that you can't have name collisions, every company gets the, or one domain name is owned by one company. So if you use reverse domain names, you can have a really good system of stopping stuff colliding. So if you decide to write an app to tag files, you could call it com.nasilicast.tags. And then Apple can implement their own tagging system and they won't clash with you because they'll be com.apple.tags. Wait, <laughs> wait. I, no. I didn't follow this tagging thing at all. Start okay, tagging. so those names, right? So the, the, the names of the key value pairs, if they're not unique, if you have two apps and they both try to use the same key, mm-hmm. they're going to start stomping on each other's information. So if I but, write an but app But I'm not going to be creating these. Okay, but if you're a developer, you will be. Okay. So if a developer is writing, and let's say that company X is writing an app to do tagging, and they call it my tags, and then they stick in your tags. And then company Y writes a different tagging app, and they also call it my tags. Then if you use one app, you'll actually destroy the data of the other, and vice versa, because they're using the same name, so they're interfering with each other. Which, okay. is, why the, which is why the standard format is to go reverse domain name. So if company X is x.com, then there will be com.x.tags. And if company Y is y.com, there'll be com.y.tags. So all of the standard Apple stuff is com.apple.whatever Apple want. And so no okay. one can ever clash with it. Okay, I got you. Got you. By the way, so, I was, I, one of the reasons I lost track of what you were saying was I was still curious where that, where that movie file was downloaded. And it turns out it was downloaded from Steve's machine. Oh, so, so that's not why from the internet. Right, that's why I didn't know have the right answer. Okay, cool. So obviously, when you drag fun. and drop stuff with file sharing, it also inserts these little bits of metadata. Huh. Apparently, yeah. Didn't know that. I didn't so know there that you either. go. Yeah. So at this stage, I hope we have covered all of the information that comes out of LS minus L. Believe it or not, these last two episodes really all come down to the output of LS minus L. <laughs> well, I thought this was really cool. This was pretty pretty interesting stuff. We've a uh, little little uh, propeller head, but I, I'm keeping up. Except well, for the this parts where us, I said I wasn't. Yeah, but then we fixed that. So we're good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is as propeller head as it gets. Um, next week, we're going to, or next time, we're going to be getting a lot simpler again. So we're actually almost done with files. The one thing which I haven't told you how to do is the sort of the equivalent of the drag and drop stuff in the finder. So how do you move a file? How do you copy a file? How do you rename a file? How do you delete a file? So we'll be doing those next time, and then we're done with files. All right. Well, I look forward to it. Uh, we have gone pretty long here, but uh, probably because of all my silly questions. But uh, without it, I can't keep up. So there you go. Cool. Well, until next time, happy computing. 
We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Taming the Terminal. Remember that all of the information you've been hearing is available as text tutorials at barbie.ie slash ttt. If you'd like to contact us, you can write to allison at podfeet.com or podcasting at bartificer.net.